you'd take God's precious Word and turn to the book of Genesis, please. Book of Genesis. Jess and Donna, if you happen to be watching on demand later, um, we sure miss having you in class today. We're glad that your brother um, had a successful uh, procedure. Genesis. We're going to go to chapter 4 this morning. Genesis chapter 4. We left off last week talking about Cain and Abel. And we learned about their different offerings. And we learned why one offering was accepted and the other was rejected. And so what we're going to do now is look at God's response uh, to Cain and Abel and Cain's response to God. So if you look here now in Genesis chapter 4, and let's look here just to uh, remind ourselves. It says in verse 3, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Yeah, verse four. And Abel he also brought the firstlings of their. Uh, I'm sorry, the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So that's where we left off last week. Two brothers, both the sons of Adam and Eve, and they both brought an offering to the Lord. They both worshipped the same one true God. But one was rejected, the other was accepted. And can anyone remember, thank you so much, can anyone remember what the difference was, what made the difference between Abel's offering and Cain's offering? What made the difference? No, not you. I know you know. I'm trying to test. Yes, ma'am. Right, and Abel's offering was done by faith, believing the promise that God gave, and thus mirroring the offering that God gave for his parents. Cain's wasn't. Cain's, I'll go my own way. I'll do my own thing. God, you, which basically is like this. When Abel offers up his innocent substitute... He's saying, God, will you accept me? He's making this offer to God. Will you accept me on the basis of a spotless, innocent substitute that dies in my place? When Cain makes his offer to God, will you accept me on the basis of what I grew or the basis of what I'm bringing you? Which was not the promise of a coming Savior to die at a guilty party's place. So when you look at Cain, you're looking at people saying this, I want God to accept me like I am. Well, listen, we're not acceptable. (laughs) 
You look at people today, we're all flawed individuals. The purpose of the gospel is to not have a perfect God except imperfect people. The purpose of the gospel is to make imperfect people perfect like God. That's hope. The, when, when you, if they would have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after they, I'm sorry, if they would have eaten of the tree of life, after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you would have had people locked in to that imperfection, to that sinfulness, to that, that, that corrupt mindset for all eternity. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in constantly listening to the news and having, you know, your 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 nerves and your 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 uh, your stress from listening to the tension between is China going to take us over? Is this going to happen? Are we going to be able to keep paying the food bills? I mean, who wants to live like that forever? With somebody always trying to get out and get somebody else and always trying to outdo someone and people not loving their neighbor and always wondering who's going to stab you in the back. Man, who wants to live that way? So the gospel is not God accept me like I am. The gospel is God's going to do something to make me acceptable and make you acceptable. The gospel is God's not going to accept the the world in the in the in the mistakes and the awfulness that it has. The gospel is God's going to fix the world, make it right, make it new, make us right, make us new. That's the only hope that we would have as a human race. The only hope the world would have. Now, look here if you would and let's see what happens. Verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Or in other words, Cain, why are you angry, and what's that, what's that look on your face all about? You know, What's that disgusted look on your face all about? Verse 7, listen to what God says. If thou doest well, or if you do right, shalt thou not be accepted? Because I accepted your brother Abel. He came to me on the basis of that substitute he offered. If you do right, won't you be accepted too? And if thou doest not right, I'm sorry, if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. In other words, Cain, why are you angry? There's no need to be angry. I'll accept you too if you'll just do right. And Cain, if you don't do right, then sin lies at your door. You're, you're guilty, not me. There's no need you be angry at me. You know, when I was in law enforcement, I marveled at the attitude of Cain that I ran into all the time that's still inside the sinful heart of man. I would arrest people who were breaking the law. They knew they were breaking the law. They chose to break the law anyway, yet they would blame me for their circumstances. It was absolutely amazing. If they were black people, I was a racist. If they were white people, then I was mean and picking on them. It, there is always a reason for them being okay in me being the one that was wrong. And that's what you're seeing here with God and Cain. God saying, hey, this is not my mistake. This is not my fault. 
You have the right to choose to do what's right, Cain, and I'll accept you if you do what's right. But if you don't, sin lies at your door, not mine. You see what God's telling Cain? And now look what he says. Uh, Now, if sin lies at your door, that's parenthetical. So if you do well, will you not be accepted? Look now at the end of verse 7. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So what he's saying is this. Cain was the firstborn. So Cain, if you do right, won't you be accepted? And to Cain, if you don't do right, it's your fault, not mine. But if you do right, if you do right, you'll be accepted. And unto you shall be Abel's desire, and you will rule over your younger brother. The birthright belonged to uh, Cain. He was the next in line. He was the, ne- the firstborn from Adam and Eve. There would have been a hierarchy, Adam, and the firstborn, and it would have been like that all the way down, and there would have been a hierarchy. Uh, Not that they wouldn't have liberty or anything like that, but there would definitely be some type of hierarchical order in society that way. And he says, and if you'll do that, this is what will happen. You'll be accepted. You'll you'll have authority over your your brother. And... uh, but if not, it's your fault, Cain, not mine. Now let's look here in verse 8, and let's see what Cain decided to do. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Now remember, Abel's the competition. Abel, if Cain is not accepted by God, who's going to be in the hierarchy? Abel is. Not Cain. So Cain has a choice. I can either... Do right by God and be accepted and rule over my brother and and be that higher order. Or, verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up uh, against Abel his brother and slew him. So Cain just cut out the competition. Now who's going to rule over me? Now, God, here's what I did. I'm not going to do well. I'm not going to be accepted, but I'm still in charge. <laughs> you know. So he thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to get one over on God. See, verse nine. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is thy brother Abel? I'm sorry. Where is Abel thy brother? Now remember, it wasn't that long ago. Adam was at, uh, God was asking Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. Now he's asking Cain, Where's your brother? All right, like I was saying, did you eat those cookies? What happened to these cookies in the cookie jar? And so he says, where's your brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain had a smart mouth, didn't he? He was disrespectful to God. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. God knew the whole time. What'd you do, Cain? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Verse 11, Now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. So now Cain is cursed, and he's going to have trouble raising food, and he's going to be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. All right, so we know what a fugitive is, right? A fugitive is someone 
who's always on the run from the law. What is a vagabond? Anybody? What's a vagabond? Huh? Yep. Person that, well, be careful how you say that because that's kind of what you do for a living, right? (laughs) He's a truck driver. (laughs) It is a person that roams from place to place, but it's someone that does it like with a backpack on their back, you know. So a vagabond, someone that doesn't have a home and just wanders all over the place, is going to be a fugitive, always on the run. Now that's fascinating because look what happens next. Verse 13, And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Still still somebody else's fault, see? Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. Now notice that. That's very important. From thy face shall I be hid. Why is Cain going to be a fugitive? Because he's going to be hiding from God. He's going to be running from God the whole time. He's going to be a vagabond because he will not inherit the earth. You know, Jesus said the meek shall inherit the earth. They actually have a home to look forward to eternally. But not Cain. Not Cain. He's cursed from the earth, God said. So he's not going to inherit the earth. Why? Because he's a rebel. All right? So let's go ahead and look here. Um, so he says, uh, and, uh, and I shall be, latter part of verse 14, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto, unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So God was merciful to Cain and put a mark on him, letting folks know, don't, don't kill Cain for what he's done. Uh, and God was merciful to him. Uh, after all, they had to populate the earth. Look here now in verse 16. And Cain went out. This is the key from the presence of the Lord. If you might want to underscore that in your Bibles. He's going to be a fugitive. Why? Not from man, from the presence of the Lord. Eventually, what happens to fugitives? They get caught. They get convicted. They get punished. What's going to happen to Cain one day? He's going to stand before God. He's going to be convicted for his sin, for not coming God's way, for not accepting the sacrifice God offered him, and he's going to be punished. He'll be uh, never have an eternal home, and uh, it's very sad. So, verse 16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So notice Cain builds his own city. That doesn't sound like a vagabond, does it? Remember, this is spiritual. He's, he's a fugitive from God. He's a vagabond in the earth because he has no home. Um, he is wandering in the earth, but he'll never inherit the earth. We are wandering in the earth today, those who believe in God and accept His Son as their Savior. And even though we wander on the earth today, the Bible promises one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll live in it forever. 
And so we have a home. We're not vagabonds. We're pilgrims. And there's a difference, you see. A pilgrim is going somewhere. He's on a journey, but he's got a destination. And, uh, and Cain, on the other hand, was not on a journey. Cain wasn't going anywhere because Cain rejected God in his good news of the coming Savior. Let's look here now. Uh, and uh, um, verse uh, 18, And unto Enoch was born Erad, and Erad begat Mahujel, and Mahujel begat Methusel, and Methusel begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah, and Ada bare Jabel. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handled the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Uh, anyway, we'll stop right there. The main thing I want you to see is this. And the reason I read all those funny-sounding names and the types of jobs that they had was I wanted you to see that the Bible records the genealogy from Adam all the way to the ark, which we'll get into next week if we don't get into it this morning. It records the genealogies of the people from the first man, the children that were born, the wives that were taken, the children that they had, what type of work they did, where they lived. This is a historical genealogical record. When I was in uh, law enforcement, I did a lot of criminal investigation. The majority of my time in law enforcement was as a criminal investigator. And I learned pretty fast how to tell the difference between someone lying to me on a story they were giving and someone who was fabricating a story. And you know what the difference is? When someone's lying, and I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you you haul a lot of construction equipment. I recovered stolen construction equipment. So let's say that, um, let's say old Chris over here, let's say that I catch him and he's got a stolen backhoe, all right? Yeah, he really didn't do it. This is just just for uh, hypothetical. But let's say I find Chris with a nice stolen backhoe, all right? Now, backhoes are kind of expensive. And so uh, I say, uh, Chris, this backhoe is stolen here. And uh, and I, I know when it was stolen because I have the theft report. I know it's only been stolen for a few weeks. And I say, where did you get this backhoe? If Chris is telling me the truth, I mean, because if you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a piece of construction equipment, don't you think you'd have a receipt for it? Don't you think you'd know who you're buying it from? All right. So if Chris says, well, I saw this thing for sale on the corner of the road, had a for sale sign on it. I called the phone number on it, and a guy came and met me there, and I, I, uh, I paid for the backhoe. And hadn't seen the guy since. Well, who was he? What was his name? I don't know. Well, what was, well, what was his name? Juan Gonzalez. All right? Or John Smith, you know. Uh, 
Well, do you have a phone number from that backhoe? Man, I had it on my phone, but I lost my phone. I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't, since then, I have no way of knowing where that phone number is. Is that a true story? No. He is, he has created that story in such a way that it provides me absolutely no way to link and trace his story back and verify it. Now, what if he said, oh, I bought that from so-and-so. He's also got a little construction business, and he said he didn't need the backhoe much anymore, and and uh, and so he, he wanted to buy another one, and so he, he sold this thing to me, and and uh, here, I've got a bill of sale right here, and I'll give you the guy's phone number. He His place is right down the road over here, you know. In fact, so-and-so was with me. Gabriel was, Repon was with me whenever we bought it together. And Now, is that a true story? That's something I can go, I can trace it back, I can verify his story. I've got names, dates, places, things like that. When you read the Scriptures... From Genesis, and I know, and I don't know if any of y'all have ever started out reading the Bible. You thought, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through. As you're reading the Bible all the way through, you, you start to come up on some really difficult genealogical records that have some really strange names that are hard to pronounce. And they begat these children, they begat these children, they begat these children. It goes on and on and on, and suddenly you feel like, oh my goodness, I can't read all this, and you get bogged down and you quit. That ever happen to anybody? Yeah. Got hands going up. The reason those names and locations and job descriptions are there is because it's a true record. And the people documenting this are giving us things we can tie back to. That you can go and say, because they used to say King David didn't exist in, in the Bible. Oh, they says there's a King David who wrote the Psalms and all this, but we've found no archaeological records saying this and all that, the Davidic Empire and all that. Well, next thing you know, years go by and they do an archaeological dig and they find it. Well, the Bible was true the whole time. And it's just like no different than him, you know, him telling me, oh, I bought it from... Joe Blow down here who owns this construction company and it's located over here. And then I can go and verify, yes, there is a person that owns this construction company. Yes, he did sell that backhoe to Chris. Yes, Gabriel Repon was with him at the time. And they, we verify it. We, what we call in law enforcement corroborating evidence. When you look here in Scripture, evidence is corroborated. It's corroborated by different testimonies of different people who lived in different times. The next thing you know, you do an archaeological dig and you find it. And I think God on purpose allows things not to be found for quite a while. Just to let people do the talking. So that later they'll find it and get a little embarrassed by it. Of course, they don't publicize that stuff very much. But that happens all the time. And uh, and so that's why God's put all these records here. Let me tell you this, and we'll see it when we get to the New Testament. The Bible provides a genealogical record from the very first man God created, his son, his son, his son, his son, his son, all the way down, all the way to the promised Savior that came. 
2,000 years ago. That's a lot of people. That's an amazing record. You can actually go back and trace the promised Savior's birth to his parents, to their parents, to their parents, to their parents, all the way back to the first man ever made. That is history. That's amazing. And so that's why I wanted to read you these records here. Who they were, where they lived, what they did. Notice that they were artifacts of brass and in this metal. They they had metallurgy. Notice that it said, uh, if you'll look here in, uh, yeah, that was brass and iron in verse 22. Notice in verse 21, those that handled the harp and organ, you had musicians, you had metallurgists, you had uh, construction people, they built a city. You had people who were very sophisticated. The, the, the cartoons that you see of some caveman going, ugh, and the other one go, ugh, ugh, and they have some stick over their, over their shoulder and they go hit a woman on the head and drag her off to the cave. None of that's true. None of it's true. There's no record of it. There's no history of it. It's a pure invention of evolutionists that want to say that we came from monkeys and that we were cavemen and these Neanderthals and all this other stuff. But you see here the record of the first grandchildren and great-grandchildren, the first man and in in how they were, were known for, for dealing with cattle. They were agriculturists. They were musicians. They were metallurgists. Look here now, if you would, in verse 25. But let, first notice what they were not. They were not worshipers of God. None of that's mentioned. They were all descendants of Cain. They were all raised apart from God's presence, not being taught God's knowledge. That was not passed down to them because Cain was not a believer. Cain was angry at God. He rejected God. So... Cain began having these descendants. And this is the ungodly line of men. Got it? The ungodly line of men began descending from Cain. Abel was the believer. But Abel was killed. So now we're going to go to another set of genealogical records. Verse 25. And Abel... I'm sorry, and Adam, excuse me, knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. Remember the gospel message God gave in the Garden of Eden. I will put enmity, he said to the serpent, between thy seed... And her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In other words, the woman's going to give birth to a child, who gives birth to a child, to a child, to a child, to a child, till finally the promised Savior is born. Put God up here, Satan here. Cain was of his father the devil. The works of his father he did. 
Abel had God as his heavenly father, but Cain killed Abel. So now who's the godly lion going to come through? The godly seed. She said, called his name Seth. The name Seth means appointed. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. So now Seth comes here and takes the place that Abel would have had. Now watch this. Verse 26. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So at this time, here you have metallurgists, construction people, business people, building a city, living their lives, doing their worldly thing. Over here you have a a line of people that are being descended from Seth, and they're calling on the name of the Lord. And to, to call on the name of the Lord means to put your faith and trust in God. To be to to have your hope in him and his promises. So these people are the godly line. These people are the ungodly line at that time. All through the history of the world, we have had the god the ungodly line and the godly line. Not just physically, but spiritually, which ultimately is the way it is. We'll see here in a little bit. The godly line and the ungodly line. Today, we have people who care nothing about God. They live their life the way they want to. They don't believe in God. They don't think about God. Or if they do, they, it's, it's in a negative way. You have other people who say, you know, we're going to put our faith and trust in God. And we're going to do what God says to do. And we're going to know His Word. And so, if you'll look here now, verse 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, which, which you know, means basically uh, mankind uh, made from the earth, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now notice here, when we're looking, if you'll look here in, cha- in chapter 5, verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. It goes from Adam to Seth. You see how that generation goes? It skipped Abel. It skipped Seth. Uh, I'm sorry. It skipped uh, Cain. It skipped all those others. Chapter 5 is giving us the genealogy of the godly line of the believers. There's going to be a line of people through which they would believe God's promises, they would continue to record God's Word, and they would continue to pass down God's teachings to the next generation. It is because of these people here that we're reading about that we're holding this right here this morning. We owe them a lot. We owe them a lot. All right? And we're, as we continue to go through the Bible, we're going to continue to see the results and the interactions on earth between the godly line, I'm sorry, between the ungodly line and the godly line. 
You see it all the way up to the time of the crucifixion. It really comes to a head then. It'll really come to a head at the end of the, at the, end of the world. All right, so let's look here now. Oh, by the way, if you ever wonder why people hate Israel, it all comes back to this. But we'll learn more about it as we go. All right, let's go ahead and look here now. Um, uh, Verse 3, And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. So Adam and Eve were giving birth for 800 years to boys and girls. That's where all these other people came from that were getting married. But the genealogy, as far as the Bible goes, that we're going to be following and are interested in, it's going to be the godly line. And that's where chapter 5 is taking us to, to aim us toward following this godly line of people that are going to fulfill the, the, the promise of the seed bruising the serpent's head and overcoming that ungodly line, if that makes sense. I get excited thinking about it. It's absolutely amazing. All right, now let's look here. Um, verse uh, 5. In all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived in 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And Enos lived, now you see how it's skipping over all the other sons and daughters of Seth. We're focusing on Enos now. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And, and the reason God's so meticulous with these genealogies is because it's going to go all the way to the promised Savior that God promised back in the Garden of Eden. It, care, much care was given in all this. All right, in all the days of Enos, verse 11, were 905 years, and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalil. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalil 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalil lived 60 and five years and begat Jared. And Mahalil lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalil were 890 and five years, and he died. And Jared lived in 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. Now, if you've ever heard the old saying, he's as old as Methuselah, this is where this came from. Because Methuselah is the, is the person who lived the longest ever uh, in the history of God's Word. So let's look at Methuselah. Enoch, see, Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Notice something different there about Enoch? He didn't die. Everyone else has died. Enoch didn't die. 
God took Enoch. Enoch is still alive. Enoch never died. <clears throat> huh? Yeah, God took him. So Enoch walked with God, and then God took him. Now, without getting too far off, I believe Enoch will come back to earth again, and that's one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. All right? But, and the two witnesses die. There were two people in the Bible who did not die, and that's Enoch and Elijah. And so... um, uh, it's very possible that those two witnesses that come in the book of the Revelation and start bearing witness on earth, they both get killed for their faith. It's very possible those are the two, that God took them up, kept them for a while, brought them back down to finish their mission at the end of time, and then they die. But Enoch did not die. And if that's not one of the two witnesses, that's God's, God's thing. But uh, God took him and... Uh, and so now he's gone. He had this son, Methuselah. Look now in verse 25. And Methuselah lived in 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years and he died. So that's why he's the oldest fellow in the Bible. 969 years. And Lamech, which was Methuselah's son, Verse 28, lived in 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah. Now you see how all of these, this is absolutely fascinating. Because eventually, we're now going to get to the story of Noah and the ark. And when we get to the story of Noah and the ark next week, you're going to see it is an amazing story, and it has nothing to do with the fairy tale stuff, with the cartoon figures of all the animals having the head stuck out of the ark, and they're all happy floating with Noah. It has nothing even close to that. And what the world does, and unfortunately a lot of churches, they're, they're ignorant. They, they don't know the Scriptures well enough, so they paint up this kitty-looking thing, like it's just some fairy tale, like Spongebob Squarepants or something, and it's not that way. So, eventually, everyone that's going to survive past Noah and the flood got to belong to Noah's family. And that's why the the Bible is following the genealogical record from Adam to Seth, all this godly line, all the way up to Noah. That from Noah, everyone after the flood, which is what we uh, the uh, the post-Diluvian age. This is the anti-Diluvian age here. The post-Diluvian age. We're going to follow the genealogy all the way down to there. Now we're not so much going to follow it here. They would take up so much time and so much reading for us to do it. But it's all there. And now when we get the New Testament, we probably will. We'll probably actually follow it and just read every one of them. It'll be fun. So this is why this is so important. This is why these records are so important. And God willing, next week, we'll get into Noah and the flood, and we'll see what happened. I'm going to leave this up here. I don't. Uh, hopefully Sherry won't touch it. If not, we'll redraw it. We're going to see what happened that caused the flood to take place. And it'll be something that happened between the godly line and the ungodly line. Okay? 
And I can't wait to get into it with you. Any questions what we went over? We're actually stopping on time today. Usually I'm running you over. And I'm rushing. Yes, sir. Basically what? Judas. Judas? Yeah. Iscariot? Yeah. Iscariot. Okay. Uh, so evidently he, he was of the Cain line. Okay. That's a very good question. So here's, here's what we want to see. And next week we'll help that. This is how it started off. This group of people that did not pass the, the, the gospel down to their children. This group of people who did. But we know, spiritually speaking, people from, you know, it doesn't matter who your parents are and what your parents believe. You can believe, and you can believe different than your family, you know. So uh, someone could be raised Muslim and have Arab parents, and they could end up, like many Muslims do, end up believing what the Jews teach and what the scriptures teach and what we teach. So, um, eventually, these two lines intersect, which is what caused the flood. And, uh, and there was a breakdown in the, in the godly line over here. And uh, as a lot of things do, the next generations, they don't, they don't keep it. They don't hold on to it. I said last night, I was talking to somebody, and I said... The first generation builds, the second generation maintains, the third generation destroys. That's kind of how it works. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll see what happens. So, no, Judas was not necessarily from this line right here. But, but this is just how it started off. Yeah, because as we know, the Jews descended from the godly line. They were all descendants of, of, uh, of the godly line. But um, they are the ones that crucified Christ. But they are also the ones who gave us a New Testament. So it doesn't matter who your family is physically. You know, it didn't matter who you descended from physically. The Jews crucified Jesus. Jews were the apostles of Jesus. So it matters what who you are and what you believe inside. But historically, this is how it started out. With this bunch and with this bunch. And now next week, they're going to merge and the lines are going to get blurred real bad. Make sense? All right. Very good question. All right. We'll go ahead and see you next door.